0: Uh, for coming and and being here and being the church and and bringing in into this room Uh, if you're new here uh, especially want to say thank you for coming thank you for being here Uh, thanks for being our our guests um, here this morning Uh, we've been going through a a series on uh, the first letter that peter the apostle wrote uh, to a group of christians scattered throughout asia minor uh, to Christians who are going through times of, of persecution. And we got to this place last week in, in beginning of chapter 5, the beginning of the last chapter, this letter where we talked about this sense in which uh, in, in a world that is filled with chaos, in a world that's filled with persecution, what kind of leaders are, are necessary in, in a time like that? And we talked about leaders who uh, about leaders who are witnesses of the work of God, who are experiencing God on a daily basis. We talked about leaders who are shepherds of the flock, who love their sheep even more than they love themselves. And we talked about leaders who are examples uh, to others who focus not on the here and now, but on the eternity. And as I, I talked about that, I was kind of doing some debriefing and, and getting some feedback. And, and, and um, somebody told me, hey, you know what? I'm not sure how uh, relevant that message would have been to people who don't feel like they're leaders. And so um, I apologize if you feel like it was irrelevant to you, but I think today is going to be relevant because we're going to open up the spectrum a lot more to what kind of people does a church need in a time like this. We're going to read uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read verses 5 through 7. And um, as we open up the Word of God, uh, I think what we talk about today will have um, high relevance and practicality for all of us and immediate implication. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is God's word. So in a word, our passage today is about humility. It's about humility. If I were to ask you a question, um, would you consider yourself to be humble or would you consider yourself to be prideful? (laughs) What might you say? (laughs) I know that some of you are like, well, that's a trick question. You've heard this all the time. If you think you're humble, if you say you're humble, then you're really not. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, Like, you know, how would how would other people describe you? Would they describe you as? Yeah. You know what? Uh, She is a humble person or you know what? She needs to eat some humble pie. You know what? He's a really humble person or you know what? He's a really proud person. How would people describe you? I I, want to present to you this one simple idea from uh, these three verses that humility and pride is not just a character trait, but makes all the difference in the world. The first thing that we're going to look at comes from uh, verses five and uh, from from verse five. The first thing we see is your choice. Pride or humility is going to determine your destiny. Wow. That's a pretty superlative statement, isn't it? Well, Your choice between humility and pride is going to determine your destiny. Let me, let me explain this to you, okay? Uh, young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older. So he begins by picking up where last week left off, talking about leaders and these are the kind of leaders you need to be and you need to lead well, sacrifice, give your life for the sheep. And then he's saying young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older. So he's talking to young men, but, but really it, it's t- he's talking about people who are younger than the elders. We talked about the leaders of the church being the elders, and we, we kind of explained what that meant. And, and typically, not always, but typically those who are older, but older in the faith obviously – are the ones whom we ought to put our faith in and, and follow as leaders. So he's saying if the elders in the church, spiritually mature people, are the leaders exercising authority, then younger people in the faith be submissive to those who are older. Okay, this is this is pretty important here. He's saying you you've got to understand that in the church, right, and as well as in society, there's a certain authority structure that has been set up and created by God. That's why. Um, Ephesians talks about the household code that says that husbands, uh, wives should be submissive to husbands? Children should be submissive to their parents. Slaves should be submissive to their masters. Why? We should be submissive to government authorities. Why? Because God has established this authority structure in order that his purposes might be accomplished. It's not to say that we should blindly submit. So he doesn't always say, children, do whatever your parents say. Your parents tell you to go murder someone. Don't do that. It always says, obey your parents in the Lord. In the same way, uh, wives should be submissive to your husbands in the Lord. It's not talking about a blanket like I'm going to blindly follow and they say, oh, you know what? Uh, You need to go do all these illegal things. We should do that. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, by and large, there's a structure, a hierarchy that has been established in order for God's purposes to be accomplished, in order for God's wisdom to be disseminated. And in the church, this is what he's saying. He's what he's saying is that those, especially the leaders who fit the description of that, uh, that which been described in, in verses one through four. Shepherds, examples, witnesses who are living in the fullness of God's spirit have been given authority by God to speak into the lives of those who follow in order that God's purposes and his will might be accomplished in the church as well as in our lives. Now, he's saying that, okay, just like husbands may be wrong, parents may be wrong, government authorities might be wrong, masters might be wrong. We don't blindly accept. But by and large, that's the general pattern. He's saying, look, church leaders are going to make mistakes. We're going to give bad counsel sometimes. But by and large, this is the order that he has set up. I think about my life as I was growing up, uh, when I was under authority to to, to pastors and other people, the great majority of the major mistakes that I made in life was because I didn't listen to what they had to say. I can remember very specific times about friends that I shouldn't have had. that My my, uh, spiritual authorities told me, you shouldn't hang with these people. Not at this point, at least. I think about um, decisions that I made, even within the context of church, decisions that I made about different, uh, I don't want to go into much detail because I don't want to implicate anyone, but different decisions that I made that I sought counsel from other people, from uh, from mature pastors and mentors who spoke. And I I remember this one situation, I could go this way or this way, and I had these two options in my mind. And I had an inclination that this way was right, but I had a, a fear that of, of going that way. So I, I went this way. That's, that's what I ended up doing. I talked to my mentor and I said, you know, what, what, what should I do? These are, my two, these are the two options. And he told me, you, should, you need to go this way. Because if you go this way, this is what's going to happen. And he, did, he detailed, uh, detailed about five different things that were going to happen. And I went against his advice. I went against his counsel. I went the opposite direction. And it was exactly as he said was going to happen. Every <clears throat> single one of those things to a T came to fruition. Think about the issues in, in, in your life, and I'm not going to say I, I, I do this well all the time, but a great majority of the people that I counsel come to me if it's, if it's an issue of, of, of sin or some uh, stuff got messed up in their life because they went against the counsel either of, of me or their, their teachers or some other biblical principle that we had given out to them. I think about in your life. Isn't that the case most of the time? That the hardship in your life is because of an inability, an unwillingness to follow the teachings of Scripture has been laid out by those who are teaching the Word of God. Again, there are times when we're wrong, and I'll be the first to admit that. But the, uh, the, but the attitude here is not about, oh, you know what, they're always wrong. You know what, they told me to, to go this way and I went the other way and I was right. It's not about that. The issue is the attitude of our hearts, of our hearts, not the wisdom of the leaders. Right. That's why, as members, right, we've got to be praying for those who are in spiritual authority your teachers, your shepherds, your pastors. And as you pray for them to become the godly, wise leaders that God's called us to be, then the posture, you, all you have to care about is I need to just be humble and teachable and willing to follow the teachings of Scripture. And, and, and even now, maybe as you're hearing this, is like this is bumping up against your heart and saying, you know what, I know that what he's saying, he's teaching the Word of God, but I don't necessarily think that's true. Does young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older? But then he doesn't just say that. He says, all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When he says, clothe yourselves with humility, he's, he, the, the picture that he's giving is to put on a garment of humility. Right? Maybe we're, we're, we're naturally prideful people, but Peter has in mind this idea of Jesus when he put on the, took off his outer garment and wrapped the towel around his waist, clothing himself with humility in order that he might wash the feet of his disciples. He's saying, all of you ought to clothe yourselves with that kind of humility. And here's where the, here's where the point comes in where the choice between humility and pride makes all the difference in the world, it determines your destiny because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I would not want God to be opposing me. Of all the people in the world to oppose me, he is a one person I don't want to be against me. The God of angel armies, he's a friend of mine. I don't want him to turn his back on me. Here's what he's saying. If we're proud, proud, prideful people, if we're prideful people, then here's what happens. God wants to pour blessing into our lives, but pride blocks the blessing of God from being appropriated into our lives. Right? You ever wonder, why, is it feel, why does it seem like everyone else is being blessed but not me? Why is everyone else's prayers being answered but, but mine? Why is everyone else getting into worship but me? Could it be that the posture of our hearts embraces an attitude of pride instead of humility? Because God opposes the proud. Have you seen this Geico commercial where someone is throwing something in the garbage can and this like tall African basketball player, Dikembe Matumbo, comes and he swats that junk away. And he says, no, not in my house. <laughs> and then someone's trying to throw the laundry into their laundry basket. And he comes and he knocks it all away. And then he runs to the next thing. And they have the Geico sign up there and he goes and he knocks the G off the Geico sign. It's super funny if you've ever seen it. I think that's a picture of pride in our lives. The blessing of God is about to come, and then here comes this big guy, and he knocks it away. That big guy is pride. You understand this? Like we're sitting here, we're like, I need you, Lord, I need you, every hour. And and the blessing of God is about to come. But if we don't have this posture of God, I really need you, then pride comes, and he swats that jank away. And we can't receive the blessing of God. Like we're praying for something, we're praying for something, we're so eagerly longing for something to come. The blessing of God, the answer is about to come, but in our pride, God opposes that, and pride blocks the blessing from getting to our lives. Here, 30 of us are going to a synod retreat. A bunch of people are going to be there. I am completely convinced that this is going to be a, a, an out-of-your-world kind of experience. I think God's blessing is going to be poured out in a mighty way. There's been so many people praying for this time, and I think it's just going to be uh, uh, just a crazy, crazy, crazy amount of a floodgate of blessings opened up. I believe this. I don't just, I'm not just saying this. I believe this with all of my heart. Like I really believe this is going to happen. We're going to come back next week, and you're going to see 30 people completely different. Unless pride is blocking our hearts. Because as the blessing of God seeks to come, right, pride comes and it swats it away so that we can't receive it let me I don't you don't know if you're pride proudful proud or, or humble so let me let me read something to you that helps to elucidate this a little bit. This is huge, okay um, and just just hear this out and maybe I'll email this to you guys because it's a lot. Okay, proud people focus on the failures of others. you focus on the failures of other people, humble. People are overwhelmed with a sense of their own need and how much they fall short. Proud people are self-righteous, critical, looking at their faults through a telescope and others with a microscope. The humble are compassionate and forgiving and look for the best in others. The proud look down on others who aren't as spiritual or committed as them. The humble treat others better than themselves and realize how far short they fall. The proud must always be right and must always win. The humble are willing to yield the right to be right. Proud people think they know a person's motives, but the humble realize that only God knows, so they give the benefit of the doubt. The proud think they know who are truly proud and humble. The humble leave judgment of a person's heart to God. The proud say, my church is privileged to have me. The humble say, I don't deserve to serve God. No wonder I'm not receiving the blessing of God the way that I ought to. And no wonder we're not receiving as much. This is hard stuff. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Peter knew this. and He was the one who boasted that, yo, Jesus, everybody else, they're going to fall away because they're not as spiritually strong as I am. <laughs> but check it, I ain't ever going to deny you. Not once, not twice, not three times. Ain't gonna not going to happen to me. And every time a rooster crowed, he remembered that if you're not humble, then you're going to stumble. Because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace upon grace upon grace to the humble. See, pride, seven deadly sins. It's the gateway. It's what caused Satan to fall because it sets us up in the position of God. And when we're proud, every other sin follows. Greed, I deserve that. Envy, I want that, not that person. Adultery, I deserve that person's whatever it is that they have. Covetousness, that should be mine. We have the sense of entitlement. Pride is the gateway, and God opposes that. Humility also is a gateway, because if we have humility, then we will never stop growing, never stop learning, never stop seeking, never stop hungering after more of God, never thinking that we've got it, never think that we've made it, never think that we've arrived. But constantly, that's the Apostle Paul. He started out saying, I'm a pretty bad man. I'm a bad sinner. Then he went on, and he said, you know what? I'm the chief of sinners. He said, I'm the worst of sinners. He said, I'm not even worthy of to be called a child of God. And he understood humility. The more he grew, the more he understood. And the more he knew, the more he said, I need to know more of Jesus. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the first thing. Your choice, pride uh, or humility, is going to determine your destiny. Second thing that we see here, the second thing that we see is that God always exalts the humble in due time. Well, that wasn't very, very hard to figure out. That says that in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Wow. <laughs> so What does that mean? Okay, the difference between the humble and the proud, there was a lot of them, but there's, uh, there's some similarities too. Both of them will be exalted. But the question is, who will do the exalting, and for how long will they be exalted? Proud people exalt themselves, but they quickly come tumbling down. The proud are exalted by God, but He will do that in His time. You know, when I think of of pride, and I think of the pride in my life, why do I get? Why do I think I'm so much better than other people? It's because there's things that I look at, and I compare myself with another person. I think of what the areas in which I I, I wrestle with pride. I. It's hard for me to talk about sin right now because I don't want you to think that I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel. So I'm going to talk about my pride when I was younger, okay? How's that? That's how prideful I am. So uh, I used to play a lot of basketball, and I, one of the things that I, I... There was some things I didn't do very well, but there was a couple of things that I did well when I played basketball and it gave me an advantage, right? So I could jump higher than most people. And so when I saw other people who couldn't jump as high as me, I would look down on them, literally. Just kidding. I would look down on them, <laughs> What's wrong with them? They can't. And I would say, you know what? They're not that good. And when other people could jump higher than me, man, they're on steroids. (laughs) Or, you know what? But they can't dribble or they can't shoot. I would look down on people. Why? Because pride has a way of comparing ourselves with other people. And if we're better than them in our estimation, then we will exalt ourselves. We'll elevate ourselves. That's what pride does. Being humble is difficult Because changing the heart is difficult, but it's easy to fake humility. You know why? Because we know what humility, we know what pride looks like, and so we jump to the opposite side. But here's what we do, and I've I've said this before when we are talking about the seven deadly sins, but here's what we typically do. We tend to look at ourselves and say, if pride is making too much of ourselves, then humility is to make less of ourselves. And so here's what we do. We look at ourselves and say, okay, I need to make myself less. So this is what we do. This is what I do. I've got a 4.0 GPA. I don't really, but I say I've got a 4.0 GPA. And someone says to me, "Oh my gosh." All right, so here's Pastor Albert and I. We're we're friends. We're taking class together. We're at uh, Cypress Creek High School and taking classes and I got a 4.0 GPA and I'm, you know, I have reason to be proud proud if I think about it in the ways of the world, but I know I shouldn't. And so here comes Pastor Al, he's not a pastor because um, I'm not a pastor either because we can't be pastors in high school. So Albert comes to David, and he says, hey, David, how you doing? What you get on your report card? I said, I got a 4.0, and I hang my head. He's like, oh, my gosh, you're so smart. Like, you're so smart. You got a 4.0. That's like the best GPA you can get. And I'm like, no, really, I'm stupid. like, what do you mean you're stupid? Oh, no, 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 don't, don't say I'm smart. I'm really stupid. He's like, but I got a 3.5, and if you got a 4.0 and you're stupid, that means I'm really stupid. So what, what ended up happening, in trying to make myself smaller, I made somebody else smaller. Is that humility? No, you could fake that, but it doesn't last very long. Who was it who said this? Hmm. I forget who it was. I think, I think it was D.L. Moody. He said, uh, okay, don't quote me on this. You could Google the quote later. But he said, humility isn't about looking down on other people, looking at yourself and, you, and then looking down on, your, on, on other people. Or making yourself smaller, like pressing yourself smaller. So if you're eight feet tall, you push yourself down to become five feet tall. That's not what humility is. What then is humility? Here's humility. It's standing as tall as you can and then looking up at the greatness of God and realizing that your greatness really isn't very great. It's really actually pretty small. When we realize the smallness of our greatness, that causes a humility in us. That's why John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. It's not like you do that first and then I'll do this second or at the same time. It's as Jesus increases, we begin to decrease. That's why worship always resizes us when we see God for who he is. How great is our God immediately causes us to say not how great is our God and then how great is me. No, says how great is our God. Therefore, I'm so small. And that God would send his son to die for me. Oh, my gosh, this is amazing grace. How can it be amazing love that you, my king, should die for me? And this is worship. This is the essence of worship. It's revealing revelation. It's responding. It's seeing ourselves. It's being resized and reshaped. And the fact that that God is a friend of mine continually helps us to become smaller and smaller and smaller. Therefore, you want to grow in humility. Don't compare yourself with how good you are compared to other people. But compare yourself to the teaching of scripture. Right? You think you're pretty loving compared to that other person? Check out 1 Corinthians 13, right? This is, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about what love ought to be. Don't turn there. I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about how we're supposed to be loving, but ultimately it's a picture of who Jesus Christ is. Okay, so think about this. You think you're loving? Check this. Jesus, his love is patient. Jesus is kind. He doesn't envy. He doesn't boast. He's not proud. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He kept no record of wrongs. He did not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. He never fails. You that good? I'm not that good. I'm not that loving. All of a sudden, I'm not comparing myself with that person who treated me poorly, and I think, what's wrong with them? I'm so much better than them at loving because I don't keep no record wrong. I'm going to forget about them the next time I'm going to give them a nice tip. That's, yeah, compared to someone else. We compare ourselves to Jesus. We realize that the greatness within is really actually pretty doggone small. And when we begin to realize that, then just humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. What does that mean in due time? Right? It, it means in the time that God has for us. A lot of times we, you know, we want to be exalted. And we're waiting for God's timing. And, and, and it seems like it's taking too long. And that's why we move out in pride and we try and exalt ourselves in self-promotion. Look at all the great things that I am. Look at all the great things that I do. Look at how good I am and look at how bad they are. That's why we talk bad about other people. We cut them down so that it makes ourselves, our, our small puny selves look bigger. Right. We have to cut down other people so that we could look a little bit taller because we're not able to trust that God is going to exalt us in his timing. Tomorrow as we, we drive up to, to Georgia for this retreat we'll be driving for four hours and inevitably someone is going to say, are we there yet? We've got, and probably none of y'all will say it because you know now that it's out there, but we've got some fifth graders who are not here. They're going to be coming with us, and they're, they, maybe they're going to say, are we there yet? Deep in their hearts, underlying that question, not are we there yet. The question is, why is it taking so long? Why are we taking so long? Adults, adults don't ask that question. That's a question that, that Manny asks when we're going to the beach, like this hour and a half trip. Like, are we there yet? Why is it taking so long? That's a question that we often ask too to God. God, why is it taking so long? But God is never slow in exalting his people. You remember Moses? He had spent 80 years before he could deliver the people of God. 40 years taking care of sheep, not people sheep, like dumb sheep, real sheep. 40 years doing that. He's like, go over here, eat this food, up, don't drink, you're gonna get diarrhea if you eat that. Come over here. That's what he was doing for 40 years of his life. That's like my whole life he's been doing that. And he's like, dude. He didn't have a while. He's looking up at the sundial. God, when? How long? And then finally, God says, all right, Moses, meet. go to this bush. I'm going to meet you. Bam! And then he's like, go, let my people go. And I've heard the cries of my people. Is Joseph, man. This guy, before he finally made it to prime minister of Egypt. Boy, doesn't Egypt need a prime minister like Joseph in a time like this? Before Joseph got to that point, he was thrown into the pit. Then he went to Potiphar's house where Potiphar's wife started seducing him. Then he went into prison. He went to all these places before finally he made it to the palace. Peter had to go through this awful period of humbling and brokenness so that he could be exalted to becoming the Matthew 18 prophecy that you're going to be the rock upon which the church is built. Why is it taking so long? See, God always, always, always has a perfect timing because he's molding our character to match our calling. When I was in college, my dream When I first committed my life to to full-time ministry, I said, God, I want to preach in a football stadium. I just want to preach the gospel at a football stadium. (laughs) No chance in, (laughs) no chance. Because we have to to do our time. And God has to humble us and mold us and beat us down so that we don't depend on ourselves, so that glory goes to him and not to ourselves. But God always exalts his people, always exalts the humble in, in time. The last thing, third thing, verse 7. Um, it's not going to be verbatim on your paper, I don't think, but humility is shown when we cast our anxieties on him. This is how we show our humility. It's by casting our cares, our anxieties on him. Verse 7. See, Let me read verse 6 and then 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. It says in verse, and then it says, period, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It almost seems like it's two different things. But if you read the original language, there's no period there. It's, if anything, it's a comma, but it could also be nothing. Here's what he's saying. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, comma, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you think this is how humility is shown by us casting our anxiety on him. What does it mean to cast it? May, well, Peter was a fisherman, he knew. Maybe I don't think they fish like this, but the picture is clear. It's taking whatever we have and it's throwing it upon somebody else. Hey, it's been described as you you come home from a, from a long day of work and you've got your or from school, you've got your backpack, and when you come home, you take that backpack off and you throw it. On your sofa, you throw it on the floor, you throw it, or if you're, if you're nice and polite, you throw it on, on your desk so that it keeps it clean. But you take that backpack and you throw it down somewhere and you're not carrying it anymore. I, don't, I never understood why, um, why teenagers used to carry their backpack around everywhere they go. Kind of weird. They look like little turtles. But anyways, <laughs> they say, take that off and cast it all on God. Because that's what it means. The reason why we're so heavy laden is because we're carrying our anxieties on us all the time. I think you've got two options. You could carry that stuff and you'll be ridden with anxiety. Or you could cast all that upon God and you'll know his peace. What is anxiety? The um, original force of <laughs> I'm getting a text right now. The original force of this word means anything that divides and distracts your mind, your heart, right? That pulls you one way or another. Hey, what are the things in your life that 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 pull your mind in this way and that? when you sit down to to do your work, your mind just is pulled and distracted by these things. As you sit down to worship, you have a hard time worshiping because your mind is all of these different things that are pulling you. you got like these little tentacles that are stretching your mind and pulling your heart away from God. For some of us, it's our work. We sit down to worship and, and these things are anxiety just tugging at us and pulling us away and for others of us, it's, it's family issues. For others, it, it's school issues. And we can't focus on the word of God because we're thinking about that test that we've got tomorrow. I, these are, this isn't a bad thing, right? This isn't a bad thing. We all have anxieties. But here's what he's saying. The humble, instead of trying to deal with these things on our own, we cast these things upon God in order that we might receive the grace that we need. God gives grace to the humble. It's, it makes a lot of sense when we hear it. But there's something about that that, wants us, that 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 just keeps wanting to hold on to those things. That we want to take care of it. We want to fix it. We want to solve it. He says, uh, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. When, when he talks about mighty hand, every person reading it would hearken back to the ancient Israelites when the the, the language of the Exodus was with a a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God led His people out of of slavery to Egypt. That's the mighty hand of God that is at work in your life if you would cast your anxiety on Him. Who wouldn't want that? Operating in their lives, the hand that delivered this race of slaves and brought them to the edge of the promised land, that's the same God whose mighty hand is at work in us. And instead of invoking that, and we're filled with anxiety about what's going on with my mom, what's going on with my dad, what's going on with my sister, what's going on with my child, what's going on in school, and all of these things. that is pulling our mind every which way in that. And he's saying, that's symptomatic of a prideful heart that says, I can fix and think my way through my problems better than God can. And not only is it God's mighty hand, but he says, why should we cast our anxiety on him? It's because he cares for you. Oh, man, he cares for you and me even more than we do. You now, why is it that, that we have a hard time just completely letting go of these anxieties? I mean, the text will tell us it's pride. The text will tell us it's different things. This week, I was um, just sitting at my, my table at home, and my daughter, Manny, was, was drawing on uh, this like sketch pad that she had, it's kind of where you gotta you know you gotta rip the pages out if you wanna hang it on the wall or something. And she's drawing, and she said, "Daddy, can you uh, can you help me rip this page out?" And it was like one of the pages in the middle of the book, not like the easy one to rip out. So you gotta kind of <laughs> push down the other pages and, and rip it out slowly. And I said, "Daddy, can you rip it? But can, don't don't rip the paper. Don't rip the paper. Just rip it out of the book." And so I'm, 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 I'm pulling it out, and the whole time she's like, no, 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 Daddy, be careful. She's like watching over me like a hawk. Like, no, no, Daddy, D- Daddy, be careful. And I'm like, you yeah, know, maybe I'm not going to rip your paper. You know, I want this to be a nice-looking paper just as much as you do. It's like, Daddy, Daddy, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to rip. Don't, don't rip my, what I drew. And I'm like, just chill a little bit. And the whole time there's part of her, even though she's giving it to me, there's a part of her that doesn't trust my hand is able to do what she wants me to do. And there's a part of her that doesn't trust that I care for her enough to do it well and to do it to to, to completion. And in our hearts, there's a part of us that feels like that too, isn't there? And Last night I was praying for for people at this retreat and one guy came up to me and he's like, you know what? I feel God is calling me to ministry, but there's one thing that I can't let go of. It's this one relationship that I can't let go of. I'm wrestling with it. I know that God is calling me to give it over to him, but I just can't. So, so what's going on in your heart? What are you thinking? Like, I know God's telling me to give this up, but I have hopes and I have desires for the future with this person, with this girl, and, and I'm afraid if I give it up to God that, that my wishes are not going to come true. And so I'm counseling through just through gospel counseling, preaching the gospel, helping him to understand, you know what? Um, we measure the power of God, the wisdom of God, the love of God at the cross there, the wisdom of God flipped the wisdom of the world upside down. And whatever you think to be wise, his wisdom is greater. There, we see the love of God in a way far greater than anything else that you can know. There at the cross, you see that he loves you more than you could ever imagine. There, we see the power of God, what looked like weakness. God is able to do something better, that he knows what's best for you. And as I was praying for this guy, as I just began to pray these things, that's when he just began to, He began to cry. He's like, I don't know, man. Because deep in his heart, he didn't trust either the power of God or the care of God in his life that God had if he wants you to marry this girl, right, then he'll give that to you or he'll give you something better, someone better. And when push comes came to shove, he couldn't, he couldn't believe that to be true. Wrestling with that. And if he doesn't get it, then he's going to be wrestling with anxiety until he finally gives this up to the Lord God. The same is true with us, too. Whatever it is that we're anxious about. Humility says, I lay these things before you, God. Humility says, I'll throw this up to you. I'll lay it all down. I'll let my hands go. And if you want this to happen, if you want whatever it is, God, whatever you want, I trust your wisdom, your goodness, your power. And until we do that, then the pride of our hearts is swatting away the blessing of God. You see, our choice between humility and pride is going to make all the difference in the world. Why? Because pride keeps us from looking up because we're looking at ourselves. But the humble will look up, and when we look up, we see the beauty of the one who had everything at his disposal and every right to be proudful, to be prideful, to be proud. But Philippians tells us that he, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he clothed himself with humility and became a servant, being in very appearance a man, and humbled himself to the point of death, even death, the most humiliating death, on a cross. And as soon as we lift our eyes upwards, here's the blessing of, here's the blessing of humility. We realize that we've got nothing to give to God that he owes us nothing because of anything that we've done. We realize the poverty of our spirit, that I've got nothing, empty hands. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. We realize the poverty of spirit with which we come before God. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, this is how much pride determines our destiny. It locks the gates of heaven to the proud. But as soon as we open up our hearts in humility, not only is heaven opened up to us, that when we die, we're there, but heaven on earth becomes our reality because God continues to pour His grace upon grace upon grace into our poor hearts that realize that we're desperately in need of a Savior. We need Him. Oh God, we need You. That's why we come to the table. That's why we come to worship. Reminded how deeply we need Him. We need His hand in our lives. Let's pray together. Guys, um, the fight for humility in our lives is not a 45-minute deal. It's not a one-sermon thing. It's not a one-Sunday deal. We're in for the fight of our lives. But y'all, it begins here and it begins now, this place. I, I fear always that if we don't move towards God in humility now, in confession, in repentance of our pride, that we'll be okay to remain as we are. And we won't be pushed and motivated to change, to seek the change that can only be found under the mighty hand of God. So if I could just invite us to move towards God in a posture of humility now. You know, typically, we might spend a, a minute or two right now in, in prayer, but I, I don't want to rush this, especially as we come to the table of grace. I don't know if it'll be five minutes. I don't know if it'll be 10 minutes. I don't know if it'll be two minutes, but let's just respond to the move of the Spirit and to the Word of God in us right now. And as you think through that list of the humble versus the proud, as you think through your life, has pride been blocking the blessing, the flow of God's blessing in my life? Let's come before the Lord God and let's ask God, Lord, I repent. Of my pride. I don't want to stand before you thinking that I've got all of these things to offer to you. I don't want to stand before people thinking that I've got all these things that should make me a blessing to them. I don't want to stand before people and look down on them because their morality doesn't fit the morality with which I live. I don't want to live that way because it might feel good for a second, but unless I'm humble, I'm going to stumble because you oppose the proud. Guys, let's take some time as Pastor Al just plays some music in the background. Let's pray. God, forgive me. Lord, wash me. Repentance is not only confessing and admitting that what we've done is sinful, but it's turning away from that and saying, God, I want to pursue humility. I need to pursue humility. And maybe that begins by casting our anxiety on God. Casting our cares upon God. letting go. Because, you know, God does give us more than we can humble, but only for that one purpose, that we might throw ourselves upon Him and allow His mighty hand to lift us up. Let's pray. Let's pray for a few moments right now. Go before the Lord God. Jesus, help me. Lord, help me. I'm going to measure myself not by other people, not by myself, my standards, but by you that I might be humbled, and by being humbled, that I might be captured by the wonder of it all, that you would love someone like me. Let's pray together for a few minutes right now. Just as individual pride blocks the flow of God from an individual life, corporate pride locks the flow of God from corporate blessing. And maybe we have been prideful about our house church or about our church, comparing ourselves with others instead of loving them, instead of praying for them, instead of encouraging them the way that we ought We have to repent of this also. Instead of comparing ourselves with others around us, we look and we see the perfect picture of the church in Revelation. That's the bride he saw in his heart when he offered up his life. That's the standard. Compared to that, God have mercy on us for thinking that we've done anything well, right, that causes us to think that we can coast, that thinks that we can don't need to pray as much, that thinks that we don't need to fight as much, don't need to reach out as much. God, have mercy on us. Forgive us. Let's pray. God, forgive us for the pride of of a congregation, a church that thought that we're better than others ask the Lord that he would have mercy on us, that he would open up the floodgates of heaven and bless us again. Let's ask for that humility in a congregation. Let's pray for that. if a people or if a church ever become prideful and think that we don't need the Lord then the flow of blessing will stop and it will go to another church it will go to somewhere else, it will go to other people who are humble and hungry and seeking it that's what's happening with the church in America in America we pride pride took pride in being the great nation and yet economically collapsing morally collapsing the church in america influence waning just as it happened in the church in ephesus sardis philadelphia laodicea then turkey and the asia minor area he said if you don't repent then the lamp stand the lamp is going to be blown out and i'll light a lamp in another place and that's what he did it happened in europe it's happening here we need to repent for our nation and for our sins as a nation the word of god always says if my people were called by my name will humble themselves and pray not those people outside the church, not the ones who don't know me, but my people will pray. Then I will turn and heal their land. Let's pray, God, forgive us for our pride, for our sexual immorality, for not speaking out against the injustices, for the abortions, for the immorality, for removing you from the public square. God, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy and turn your hand back to us. Turn your face back to us. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on the church in America. Revive your work in us. Let's pray for that as well. Father in heaven we believe that it is for such a time as this that you have been leading us through this ever important book of scripture God almighty we are desperately in need of your word and your grace for us in a time in which even over the past 6 months the moral fiber of our nation has eroded so quickly as being played out through law and through the flipping and turning upside down of the moral law that you have created to not only accept, but to embrace that which is sinful. Father, forgive us for the pride of a nation thinking that we didn't need you. Forgive us for the pride of an individual and the pride of a church that said at least we're doing things all right. It's them out there who are doing it wrong. God, have mercy on us because we're creating a future. For the church of tomorrow. God, that you would have mercy on us, and if there is a repentance, a revival in that, may it begin with us. Father, may we lead in a movement of repentance and prayer to turn our hearts back to you. Jesus, as individuals and as a church and as a nation, as a church in America, turn our hearts back to you. Lord, make us prophetic in our calling, make us humble and our demeanor, make us surrendered in all that we are. We need you, Lord God, desperately need you. You're the humble king. Come and meet with us and visit with us for your sake, for your name, for your church, for your bride. In your name we pray, amen. As we uh, continue to worship the Lord as we come to the Lord's table, here we see evidence in a picture of, the humility of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he allowed his body to be broken at the hands of those whom he had created in order that we might have life, the shedding of his blood so that we might be forgiven. So as we are come to the table reminded of what he said on the last night, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray as we uh, commit these elements to the Lord. The Father in heaven, meet with us here through the power of your spirit and as your church has always believed, in this moment, we, your church here, are lifted up into the presence of God. And in a tangible, spiritual, mystical way, we find union with you, Jesus, through these elements. We gather with the unseen, invisible cloud of witnesses, saints who have gone before us throughout all time as they proclaim their faith in you as well. And so we pray that grace would again amaze us, that the humility of our King would draw us into seeing how much you love humility. And so lead us as we come. May it be a renewal of our commitment and a reminder of the covenant that we've made with you to realize that we are saved by works, but they're not our own. They're the works of another, the work of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. So Would you meet with us here now for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we um, prepare to come to the table, we're going to the table is open to those by the bylaws of our, um, of our congregation here. Uh, for those who have been baptized or confirmed as adults, 16 years or older, if you're baptized as an infant, you're confirmed as an adult, you can come to the table. If you're baptized as an adult, you can come as well. So I'm going to invite us all to, to rise together. When you do come, you'll hear this is the body of Christ broken for you. If you take a big piece of bread and dip it in the cup, you hear this is the, body, the blood of Christ shed for you as you dip it. As you say, "Amen, you can return back to your back to your seats, but in the meantime, as we prepare, uh, we'll be singing a song so as we reflect upon the humility of christ let's worship the lord so let's come the lord's invitation to his table of grace. down
1: again. Don't me down again. me to the humble heart of love I see in you because you are the God of the broken you are the God of the broken friend of the weak You wash the feet of the weary Embrace the ones in me I want to be I want to be like you Jesus To have Mishearted me, you are the god of the humble. You are the humble king. Sing that again. Oh, near down again here at your feet show me how much you love humility Spirit be the star oh Spirit that leads me to The humble heart of love That is seeing you You are a God You are the God of the fruit the friend of the wind, you wash the feet of the wind and praise the one I want to be. Who I want to be like you, Jesus. You me. You are the God of the humble. Yes, you are the humble King. We worship you, God. You are the God. what are the God of the bro- You are a friend, Lord. The friend you wash up me, you wash the feet of the weary, you embrace the one here. I wanna be like you, oh, I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this holiday. You are the God of the humble. Yes, You are the broken. Let's just sing that with the voices now. You are the God of the broken. You are the God of the humble. Let's sing to the Lord. This is Your song. Come to wash our feet, you wash, you embrace us, God. I wanna be like you. sing that one last time I want to be like you Jesus I want to be like you Jesus just you the voices the god